Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see changed lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your spiritual journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. Well, it is very nice to be back here at the Valley. It's been quite a while since I've been here. And to see people I know and people I don't know, and some I'm getting to know. You know, it was 28 years ago in March, March, excuse me, in July, 28 years ago, that a group of us decided we wanted to start a church. And we had a key group of about five or six families and then some others who wanted to help start. And uh, our first meeting, our first official meeting, we had, some of us had talked it over, was a uh, cookout at Jamie and Kathy Mays' place. And they had a big pot of, of um, chili, and we ate chili, and we prayed, and we said, we really need to get started. And they kept asking me, when are we going to have the first service? And, uh, you know, the how I am, if you know me very well, I'll make a decision in a hurry when I need to. And I said, we'll have it Sunday. And they said, where? We said, we don't know. But we'll call you and let you know. And... Um, one of the young ladies in our church discovered that was in the group with us then discovered the Hojo Inn and by Thursday we knew and we got on the phone and we called and we said we're having church on Sunday at the Hojo Inn. We didn't have any instruments. We didn't have for our nursery. We had a couple quilts on the floor in another room. We, I didn't have an office. We didn't have anything except somebody had made two banners for us to put up front. And I'll tell you what, we had a great service, but uh, if you did that service today, you'd say it was a terrible service because we didn't know what we were doing, but God knew. And we knew we were planning a church. And people would come up and tell, ask me, especially other pastors from other churches, other Nazarene churches, they say, what are you going to do if it doesn't work? I said, I'll just do something else. But I knew and believed it would work. And when God calls you to do something, don't be afraid. Do it. And I stand up here, and most of those people that helped start the church aren't here now. They've gone on to other places. Some have passed on to heaven. But you're here. Andy was part of that group, and I got to plant the church. Andy gets the water of the church, but God gives the increase. And it's exciting to see what God's doing, and it's great to be here. Well, when I talked to Andy and told him I'd be up here in Ohio, and he invited me to preach. He told me you were, was on a series on Leviticus. And I thought, except for one sermon, I've never preached on Leviticus before. And one sermon, I had one sermon called Making Sense of Leviticus. I started with Deuteronomy and all those books that are hard to read. Quite frankly, I don't read Leviticus very much. And if, if you know a new Christian, I don't suggest you say, go home and read the book of Leviticus. It's probably not going to do anything for them. And so I, I never read it all the way through, except once when I read the Bible all the way through. And so uh, I just said, well, I better just read it all the way through. So I sat down one night to read it straight through, and you know what? I couldn't do it. I had to stop, and then in the morning I finished it. So I got it done in 24 hours. And, uh, and then uh, Mary and I, after our, our noon meal, I always read the Bible to her. And I said, well, I'm going to be preaching from Leviticus. I think I'll start reading you to, from Leviticus. You know, that lasted about two or three days, and she was ready to go on to a different book. I don't know. That was, that was enough of Leviticus. 
And so, but I, I got to reading it, and, and there are good lessons in all the books of the Bible, and um, Andy's a courageous pastor to give five weeks on this, and I got uh, the one on forgiveness, and so cracking the code, what does it say? Well, I decided the first thing I better do is try to crack the code in Leviticus, and I, I just went through and I wrote down what I thought was God's main message in Leviticus, and I'm sure different people come up with different main main messages, but here's what I figured out. The first thing is God says, I'm not like the gods of other people. I'm different. I'm not like those idols they have. I'm not like they, I do things differently. And then he says, and my people are not supposed to be like other people. We just had a family reunion. Some of you know my mom, she's 103, and we decide we're going to have a family reunion. We better do it quickly. And her mind's as sharp as can be, but she's ready to die and go to heaven, but God hasn't called her yet. And uh, she wanted to talk to us. We had a little church service there. We had about 70 people there, my cousins and other people, my, all of our family members. And uh, my mother wanted to give a little talk at the end, so she did. And she told a story. She said when she was a teenager, there was a, there was a young lady in their church. Her father was the pastor. And uh, she, these people were about 17, 16, 17. And this girl ran off with a guy and went to to Kentucky, because in those days you could get married at any age for any reason in Kentucky. And they went down there and got married. And they came back. And uh, it didn't last long. In fact, within days it was annulled. And they were discussing it. And uh, about that time, my mother's a teenager. She did something that my grandfather didn't like. And she was taught, she, my grandfather, her father was talking to her about it. And my mother said, well, at least I didn't run off to Kentucky like so-and-so and get married and have to get annulled. And my grandfather simply said, we don't do things like that in our family. And that's what God's telling us in Leviticus. He's saying other people may do things and get away with it, but in our family, the family of God, we don't do things like that. We don't sacrifice our kids to the idol, to our gods, which they did in that day. We treat others with respect. We are careful with our, what, what God's entrusted us with. And perhaps that's the main message of Leviticus. We don't do things like other people. Then he goes on, he says, if my people obey me, it'll go well for them. And if you've walked with the Lord, you know that. And if you've had a time you didn't walk with the Lord, you probably know it was the other part. If they don't obey me, they will suffer. But if they break my law, I'm ready to forgive them. And my forgiveness includes celebration and restoration. This is kind of a new thought for me. I was reading a book by C.S. Lewis. Some of you may have read him, and uh, I don't understand a lot of things he writes. But in this book, he was talking about giving sacrifices to God. And he basically said, in our culture, when we hear about these sacrifices, we think about, oh, that's a lot of blood and animals, and why did they do all that? And he said, in their culture, they saw it differently. It was a celebration, because they're going to kill an animal, and then they're probably going to cook it, and they're probably going to eat it, and basically they're going to have a party, and they're going to thank God. And I thought, okay, that changes things. Changed my view of sacrifices in the Old Testament. And God says... My forgiveness includes restoration and celebration. Now, as I started into Leviticus, and I got, you know, through the first three chapters, 
it's the fourth chapter that began to stand out to me. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, when anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forgiven in any of the, of the Lord's commands, and then, he, I'm going to skip the next part, he goes on and explains all the way they could be forgiven. They would bring an animal, it would be sacrificed before the priest. They would bring some grain. Basically, they had to put something in. But then at the end of the chapter, it says this. In this way, the priest will take atonement for them and their sins they've committed, and they will be forgiven. Now, here's some good news. God loves us even if we're imperfect and we do stupid things. You know, if, if you're looking for perfection, don't come here. Because if you're looking for the perfect church, you better not join it because as soon as you join the perfect church, it won't be perfect anymore. I think that over. <laughs> and some of you go around, some people go around looking for the perfect church. They'll never find it because as soon as they show up, that messes it up. Because God knows we're imperfect. Yeah, when it really hit me on this was uh, back in 1990, in, I think it was March of 1990, when I was a missionary in Honduras, and uh, Dana Ben Scudder was working with me, and a lot of you were just with Dana, and uh, he was working with me, and, and uh, we had a project, and it was a second story. It was put a, a study center on the second story on the, uh, what became the district office, and uh, I knew I was coming home back to the United States to, to pastor a church in the next few months, and I wanted to get that project done. And I went over to check it out, and uh, I, I wanted to talk to the fellow who was working there, and we had some steps that were up the side of it that were very secure when we were working there, but our worker had already cut all the wires, so they were, it was insecure. And on the other side were these wonderful cement steps that are still there. But I was in a hurry, and stupid me, to save about 10 steps, I tried to go up the steps that were now not safe, and I got to the very top, and they gave way, and I fell, boom, on hard dirt, and I knew something was wrong. Well, make a long story short, they got me to the hospital, a clinic, which was about like, I had surgery eventually, it'd be about like having it in one of our classrooms as far as being hygiene, but they, I, I survived. One of the doctors was even from Harvard. But when I was laying there the night before, and Dana was in the other bed in case I needed help, and the temperature was about 90 degrees because the air conditioner didn't work, I got to thinking and praying. And I knew my bone was completely broken, my leg bone. My first prayer was, Lord, if you would heal me, it'd be a great testimony I'd tell all the world. <laughs> you ever have that? Lord, if you just bail me out, it'd be good for your name. And I think the Lord said, hey, my name's okay as it is. I'm doing all right. It's you that's not doing very well. But then as I laid there, another thought came. That was really dumb what I did. It was really stupid. And I thought, God loves me just as much as he did before I did that stupid thing. And that gave me a peace. Oh, I made it through the, I made it through the surgery. I remember when it was time to go in, the nurse walked in and said in Spanish, tu tiempo ha llegado, joven, which in English means your time has come, young man. And they wheeled me down. One doctor was singing, and one doctor was watching TV, and they came in, and, 
I was in surgery for about five or six hours. They told Mary she was waiting alone. It'd be just a couple hours, but my hip's okay now. I went to the doctor down in Troy when I came back, and he just started laughing when he saw the x-rays. I said, why are you laughing? He said, oh, you're okay. He said, they just did it in such an old way that I haven't seen that done for years. Anybody has it done that way, they're dead and gone. <laughs> well, here I am. And you know, sometimes we all mess up unintentionally, and we do stupid things. But the fourth chapter of Leviticus teaches me God still cares, and he'll still forgive me. One of my favorite sermon illustrations I read years ago was in a book that my, my uh, father-in-law had. It's written in the 1940s or 50s. And in it, I read this story. There was a young man who was deeply in love with his girlfriend, fiance-to-be. They were planning to get married. We'll call her Jennifer, just for a name. We'll call her Jenny. And we'll call him James, because I can't remember the names. But Jenny was always late. You know anybody like that? They don't mean to be late. In fact, they'll start two hours early, and they're the same as if they start 15 minutes early. They're always late. And Jenny was always late. And it bothered him. It really bothered him. And he talked to her about it, and it didn't work. One day he said they were walking down the road and, and um, walking through the, down the sidewalk, and there was a big sign. There's a big theatrical production going on in town. And they were saving up their money for the future, and she begged, and he said, oh, honey, couldn't we go to that? It'd be so nice to go to that. And they talked and fucked, and finally he gave in, and he had this idea, because he knows she really wanted to go. He said, well, I'll buy you tickets to that as long as you promise not to be late when I come to pick you up. And if you're late when I get there, we're going to tear up these tickets and go home. Oh, I'll be on time. So the day came, and she went to pick her up. And her mother came out and said, I'm sorry, but Jenny just isn't ready. I've been trying to get her to hurry up, and she just isn't ready yet. She wants to look perfect for you, and she just isn't ready. The young man said he sat there. James said he sat there in the house, and he knew it was getting late. And he's getting worked up. Anybody have any like that in your family? Come on, come on, it's time to go. Getting all worked up. He said, finally, there was a book there, and he picked it up. And he, he was trying to take the time. And he opened it up, and the front of the book, someone had written in hand a little poem. And here's what it said. For every problem under the sun, there is a solution or there is none. If there is one, seek till you find it. If there is one, never mind it. And he read that over and over and over, and he got to thinking, he said, I'll never change her. She'll probably always be late. But I love her, and I'll forgive her. And so, sure enough, about half an hour late, here comes Jenny, looking like a doll, and instead of going up and giving her the lecture like he always did, 
he went over and gave her a hug and said, oh, Jenny, you look so beautiful. It's so great to see you. It's so wonderful. And she was taken back, and they went skipping down the steps and, and out the door and off to the, where the production was to be, and they were half an hour late, and they got up to the door, and the, late, the man who took the tickets was right there. He said, oh, come on in. We've had a, we've had a uh, problem with our, with our lights or with our, with our production. We're half an hour late. It's just about ready to start. Just come on in. She said they walked in right on time for the start. She, he said she never did change completely. She's still late. But he said, we've been married now for over 50 years, and it's been a wonderful marriage. And you know, sometimes some people aren't going to change completely. Oh, we can do better. And if you're one that's not doing so well, you ought to do better. But you know... Sometimes we need to learn God's forgiveness for other people. We all have to live with imperfect people. We're going to have to learn to do that through life. We have to realize that the world is mostly inhabited by other people. Did you know that? It's not just you. It's not just me. It's mostly other people. But not only that, we have to also learn to live with ourselves. I've met people who will say, I've come to God, I've asked for forgiveness, but I just can't forgive myself. It was so stupid what I did. If I had just listened to my wife, I didn't unintentionally neglect her, but I did, and now our marriage is destroyed. If I had just seen that stoplight, I wouldn't have run my car through there. I didn't mean to do it. But the wreck was so bad, and it hurt so many people. I, I know God still loves me, but I just can't forgive myself for that. If I had just taken better care of my body when I was younger, now that I'm older, I wouldn't be having these problems. If I had just been more careful when I was carrying that baby, we wouldn't have had those birth problems. If I had just not made that investment with my money, we wouldn't be in these financial situations. I thought I was doing the right thing. If, if I had just saved instead of spent, if I had just, if I had just, if I had just, if I had just. But I've got good news for you. The fourth chapter of Leviticus teaches us that God can forgive unintentional errors and sins and mistakes. And God loves you very much. And it's time to forgive yourself. We hear a lot about the Supreme Court these days, with the, especially with the uh, ruling that came out on abortion. Think of this. What if you did something and they took you to court. And here in Miami County, they found you guilty. And you appealed it to the state, and they found you guilty. And you're going to have to go to jail or something, something really bad. And maybe it was unintentional. And lo and behold, your case gets taken to the Supreme Court of the United States. And they get up there, and they look at Owen, and they say, no, we see it differently. They're innocent. Let them go. 
would you come back to Miami County then and say, by the way, I guess I'm here to do my sentence because you sentenced me. Forget what the Supreme Court said. Of course not. If the Supreme Court sets you free in the United States, you're going to be free. God is the supreme judge. Not you, not me, not someone else. It's God. And if God forgives me, if God forgives you, we ought to learn to forgive ourselves. We may regret. We may do it differently if we could have. But we've been forgiven. The weight is gone. That's Leviticus. An intentional sin. He can forgive it. But what about intentional sin? A lot of people do things they know it was wrong. They know they shouldn't have done it. You know, our, our law sees it differently. If someone accidentally kills someone in a car accident, they say it's an accident. But if somebody pulls out a gun and shoots somebody, they're in bigger trouble and they're going to get a penalty. God sees it differently. And so he talked about intentional sin as well. And the main part of this is in Leviticus 16, which also covers unintentional sin, by the way. It, it, and, and we'll look at it. It's a tale of two goats. The Lord told Moses, he said, once a year you're to get two goats and uh, you take them to the priest. And the priest basically will draw lots. We'd say flip a coin. This one's going to be the sacrifice and this one's going to be the scapegoat. And so they would take the sacrificial goat and they would kill it and they would offer it up to God. The Bible said it was a pleasing aroma, which is the celebration part. And they, it, it represents Christ's death on the cross. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Now, we didn't write that and we don't change it. And so the wages of sin is death. And in the Old Testament, it was the death of an animal. In the New Testament, it's the death of Jesus Christ unless we don't accept his forgiveness, and then it's death in hell forever. Eternal death, the Bible calls it. And so the first group represents God's death on the cross. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and here we go, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And we see that word all? That includes intentional sin. God's blood cleanses us from all sin. But then they took the second goat, and the priest would lay his hands on it and give some kind of prayer and symbolically place the sins of the people on the second goat, and they would take the second goat, someone would lead it out in the wilderness and let it go, and it was symbolic of what's called a scapegoat. That's where the term scapegoat comes from. You've heard of scapegoat. See, they're the scapegoat. In other words, they're taking the, the blame of someone else. It represents what God does with our sins. And in Leviticus, it says about that, he says, for in this day, the day they take out the scapegoat, your sins will be taken away from you and you will be clean. You will be made free from all your sins before the Lord. And God says that he'll take our sins away from us. Now, we don't forget them. Let's face it. People say, you're to forgive and forget. You probably don't. God can forgive and take it out of the mind. He says he can separate us from as far as the east is from the west. He says he'll remember it no more. In other words, he won't count it against us. We'll probably remember, but that doesn't mean we can't forgive. And God can forgive. So it says God gives us a chance to start over when he forgives us. Maybe there's someone here and you say, well, I've, I messed up. If people knew what I was doing, 
they wouldn't even want to be around me, or I'd be in a lot of trouble, or if I don't change, I know it's going to mess up our marriage, but I don't know if I want to change because I'm enjoying what I'm doing, or I, I'm spending my money on things I know I just shouldn't do it, and it's not pleasing God, and it's hurting my family, but I'm just stuck on it. God's forgiveness allows us to start over. If anyone is Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. By the way, if you wonder what that CSB is, that stands for Christian Standard Bible. It's a Bible that our pastor in Tennessee told us about. It's just a new translation. It came out about five years ago, done by a lot of scholars from a lot of different churches. You might want to get it and read it. They're very, very strict with the wording and not as much with the phrasing. And uh, we find it very interesting. It's, very, it's a good translation, just like the NIV is. But God says if you're a new creation, when you've come to him and the old things pass away. Well, what about our part in, in uh, forgiveness? God's part is Christ dies on the cross for us. He forgives us. He takes our sins away. He gives us a new start. Well, here we go. It doesn't require perfection. The Bible says God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, God died for us. Some people say, well, I got to do this. I remember one time I was trying to lead someone to Christ, and she just told me, she said, well, I said, would you like to accept Christ? She said, well, I'm better than most people. Listen, we're all imperfect. We all need forgiveness. We need to be forgiveness. We, God, God has, I think God just has this ongoing forgiveness for our unintentional imperfections. But we all need to have a time in our life when we came to God and we said, Lord, I'm sorry. I haven't been following you. It's time for me to come to you. I'm not perfect, but I give you my life. The second thing is, I, is our step is this. It requires confession to God. And Leviticus, in order to be forgiven, they had to come and do something. They had to come and say, we've sinned. And the Bible says, if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What does confession mean? Well, it means more than just saying you're sorry. If you were up here and I came up to you and gave you a hit in the arm and said, oh, I'm really sorry, I didn't mean to do that, you'd probably say, well, I don't know what's into him, but okay, you're forgiven. And then I come up there and I say I had a, a ball bat and I hit you. And you'd say, well, don't do that again, or else but I'll forgive you. And I well, thank you for forgiving me. I'll just do it again. And you know, some people see confession as a license to keep doing it. In other words, I'll ask forgiveness, God will forgive me, and then I can do it tomorrow, and I'll just ask it again and again and again. Well, that's not true confession. That's asking for permission to keep doing what you know was wrong. And God says if we confess our sins from our hearts, he's faithful and just, and he'll forgive us our sins. The third thing I think it requires is apologizing sometimes. Not always wise to apologize to a person. If it's been years ago, and you know it was wrong, and they've moved on, sometimes you don't want to dig it up again. But always rest, making restitution. I'll tell you, if you owe some guy some money, it can be 20 years ago, they'll still take it probably. And making restitution. In other words, we're to do something, like they offered the animal. We're to do something. Apologize to the person if you did it. Try to make it right. The Bible says as much as possible, live with peace with all people. 
doesn't say you always get it straightened out, but do your part. It doesn't necessarily wipe out earthly consequences. Really, Leviticus, there were some things people did that if they did this, they had to do this. There were consequences. And people come and they say, well, now that I'm forgiven, I don't think I should have to have the consequences. Well, if you build up a big debt and you come and God forgives you for how you spent your money, you probably still have the big debt. And you're going to have to live with it and learn how to get around it. If you've been messing up your marriage and they walked out of your life and they married someone else, you're, they're not coming back. You're going to have to live with the consequences. But God will be there to help you. And that's the third one, last one. It always requires a commitment to God's way. And we talk about sacrifices in the Old Testament. Here's what it says about sacrifices in the New Testament. I urge you, brothers and sisters, live in view of God's mercy. I live in, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true, proper worship. In other words, Lord, here's my life. I'm imperfect, and maybe you've messed up big time, but God, here's my life. They said, don't conform anymore to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. Did you get that last part? We come and we give our life to God, and maybe you've messed up big time, but you give your life to God, and he forgives you, and, and you try to fix the best you can what you've messed up, and some you can and some you can't. And then he says, I'm going to tell you what your will is, my will is. And I want you to know it's good, it's perfect, and it's pleasing. I heard the other day that John 3.16 is no longer the most loved and quoted Bible in the, in the uh, verse in the Bible. Someone said it's because nobody holds up their signs at the ball games anymore, say John 3.16. The most loved and quoted verse is now that one in Jeremiah that says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans, I know the plans I have. I have to go, I'm all mixed up here today. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you. I'll say it together in unison, you know it. That, I forgot the four, that's a part. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and, and not to harm you and you hope in the future. You know, as you get older, you forget some things, and you go back there and say, what happened? I know that one really well. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. Did you know that that was written to the Israelites when they had messed up? And God, it wasn't just written to somebody who was really following the Lord closely. They had messed up. And God said, you're messed up, but I still know the plans I have for you, and they're good plans. Come on back, because I'm going to give you hope in the future. One of my favorite stories, I read it years ago, and I don't know if somebody wrote it or if it happened, or I don't know how it came about. They say it happened, I think it was in Brazil. This lady, we'll call her Juana, had a beautiful daughter from the time she was little to the time she was a teenager. I mean, she was just beautiful. Guys wanted to be with her. She had a bubbly, outgoing personality. 
she was this beautiful daughter, but they lived in a rural area. They were very poor, little education. This daughter was sharp. We'll call her, let's call her, what's a good name to call her? We'll just make one up. We'll call her Molly. I don't know why Molly. <laughs> but you know, Molly had this other idea. She said, no, Mom, when I'm old enough, I'm going to the city, and I'm going to get a good job, and I'm going to Someday I'm going to have a big house, and I'm not going to live like this, and I'm going to go to the city. Her mom tried to calm her down, and uh, she said, no, honey, you got to get an education first. It's not going to work like that. Oh, but mom, everybody loves me. I'll do fine. And her mom tried and tried to talk Molly out of not going. But one day, the mother woke up, and Molly was gone. And there was a note that says, Mom, I've gone to the city. Love you. Be back someday. Don't know when. And the mother was heartbroken because she knew what the big city was like. And she knew that Molly wasn't ready for it. And she knew that the only job that would come easy would be the job that you don't want for your young daughter. And so she got together, sold some things, got some money, and she went to a photographer, and she had about a, a hundred pictures of herself, the mother, made little pictures. And she wrote a note on the back of every single picture. And when it was done, the mother took off for the big city to try to find Molly. And the story said that she looked and she looked, and she looked all over the city and couldn't find her, and her money was out. And she knew she had to go back home. But everywhere she went, and she went to the hotels and the bars and the places of bad, of bad reputation, and everywhere she went, she would leave a picture of herself, leave a picture of herself, the mother, everywhere she went. And when she was out of all of her pictures, she went home. About a week later, the story goes, Molly came down the steps in a flop hotel after a bad night of giving herself away to try to get some money. And she looked, and lo and behold, at the bottom of the steps was a picture of her mother. And she said, what in the world? How did a picture of my mother get here? And she went over and she picked it up and she turned it over. And on the back it simply said, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, please come home. And she did. And I think the book of Leviticus teaches us that no matter what we've done, no matter what we've become, God says, please come home. I love you, I want you, I died for you, I want to give you a new beginning. And who knows, I don't know all of you, even the ones I know, I don't know what's going on in your life. But in a group this big, there's probably a few people struggling with that. You're not what you want to be. You're not happy with what you've done. But God is saying, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, 
I died for you. I know you're imperfect. And I know when you've done intentional things. But please, come home. Forgiveness in Leviticus is a call and a way to return to God in spite of our imperfections and our disobedience. God's calling us home. This morning, we're going to pray in a few minutes. I think I'll go ahead and have the worship team come up now. Just come up and get ready wherever you are. And we're going to sing, and we're going to pray. I'm going to tell you one more story. When I lived in Haiti, I taught school in Haiti in the English school the year after I graduated from the university. And I got to know the missionaries real well. And one of the missionaries told me a story. He said he was out on the mountain road in Haiti, very, very poor. It was raining. He was in his truck. He was alone. And he was driving down the road. Beside the road, there was a man carrying a bag of concrete on his head. And he felt sorry for the guy, and he opened the door, and he said, why don't you get in my truck? I'll give you a ride down, down the road. And the guy was very grateful, and he got in the truck. And the missionary said a few moments later, he looked over and the man was still carrying the bag of concrete on his head in the truck. Seemed so strange to us, but didn't to them. And the missionary said, well, why don't you take the concrete off your head, the bag of cement? And this poor Haitian person said, you offered me a ride, but you didn't offer a ride to my bag of cement. The missionary said, take it off your head. And you know, I want you to know, if you're carrying that load of sin, the Bible says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that's on the cross, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. That's a new beginning. For by his wounds, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ we've been healed. It can be a new day in your life today for some of you. For some of us, it's a reminder that even when we do crazy things unintentionally, God still loves us. It's a reminder for all of us that that person we know that we think beyond hope is not beyond hope. Don't stop praying for him. God still loves them and has a good plan for their lives. It can be a new day. This is a picture I took from our back porch. We live right on a lake. We love to watch the sunsets. You know, the best sunsets are not on a clear day. They're still pretty. The sun goes down. It's fun to watch it go. And on a very cloudy day, there's no sunset at all. The best sunsets are when there's been a storm or a lot of clouds. And right at the end of the day, the sun pops out and shines across the lake through those clouds. That's the best sunset of the day. And maybe you're in the storm of life, and God's saying, hey, there's still hope. Maybe you're stumbling. Maybe you feel like you're in a tomb. Maybe you feel like it's just all around you and you don't know what to do. Maybe you feel buried by your weight of your shame. 
God says, there's something better. It can be a glorious day. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you loved us so much because you were willing to say no matter what they've done, no matter who, what they've become, I still welcome them home. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that we live in the time of the New Testament when we don't sacrifice animals. But you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins because you love us so much in our imperfection and even if we're in our sin. Thank you, Lord, for the plan of salvation. And Lord, right now I pray for someone who wants to pray along with me. Lord, today I open my heart to you and I give you my life. Today, Lord, I turn it all over to you. Forgive me for the past. Give me the strength to start over. Thank you, Lord, that you're going to help me. And Lord, I feel caught in the tomb of sin. It's like death is upon me, but right now, I give it to you. And for some of us, we can say, thank you, Lord, that you're with me. But I pray that'll be the prayer of all of us. Thank you, God, that you're calling us to something new. In your name we pray, amen. I want you to stand with me, would you? We're going to sing a happy song. And I don't know where you are on your journey in life, but as we sing this, if you're somebody here that says, hey, this spoke to me. I need, I need some forgiveness, Lord. I need a new start. Or maybe if you just want to celebrate that God's in your life and you look back and say, thank you, Lord, for dying on my life for, my, for me. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing this song with a celebration. Are you ready? Hit it. Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure you subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected to all things the Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend, because change lives, change lives.